Their faith has never wavered. Satit is an admired teacher at the International School at Bangkok. He serves as the stake president of the Thailand-Bangkok North Stake. We see God's miracles in His wondrous work and in our own personal lives. The miracle of the Church in the Ivory Coast cannot be told without the names of two couples, Philippe and Annalise Assar and Lucien and Agathe Afoué. They joined the Church as young married couples, one in Germany and one in France. In the 1980s, Philippe and Lucien felt drawn back to their native African country for the purpose of building the Kingdom of God. For Sister Assar, who is German, to leave her family and allow Brother Assar to leave his work as an accomplished mechanical engineer required unusual faith. The two couples met each other for the first time in the Ivory Coast and started a Sunday school. That was 30 years ago. There are now eight stakes and 27,000 members in this beautiful African country. The Afues continue to serve nobly, as do the Assads, who recently completed a mission to the Accra Ghana Temple. Can you see the hand of God moving His work forward? Can you see the hand of God in the lives of the missionaries in Haiti or in the lives of the Gwaiwan Watanas in Thailand? Can you see the hand of God in the lives of the Asars and the Afues? Can you see the hand of God in your own life? And in nothing doth man offend God, save those who confess not His hand in all things. God's miracles are not just happening in Haiti, Thailand, and the Ivory Coast. Look around you. God is mindful of every people. Yea, He numbereth His people, and His mercy is over all the earth. Sometimes we can see the hand of the Lord in the lives of others, but wonder, how can I more clearly see His hand in my own life? The Savior said, Doubt not, be not afraid. Not one sparrow shall fall to the ground without your Father knowing. Fear not, therefore, for ye are of more value than many sparrows. Remember the young man who cried out to the prophet Elisha as they were surrounded by enemies, Alas, what shall we do? Elisha answered, Fear not, for they that be with us are more than they that be with them. Then Elisha prayed, Lord, open his eyes that he may see. And the Lord did open the eyes of the young man. And he did see that the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire. As you keep the commandments and pray in faith to see the Lord's hand in your life, I promise you, he will open your spiritual eyes even wider, and you will see more clearly that you are not alone. The scriptures teach that we are to stand steadfastly,
in the faith of that which is to come. What is to come? The Savior prayed, Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. We all just sang, Come, O thou King of kings. Our faith grows as we anticipate the glorious day of the Savior's return to the earth. The thought of his coming stirs my soul. It will be breathtaking, the scope and grandeur, the vastness and magnificence will exceed anything mortal eyes have ever experienced. In that day, he will not come wrapped in swaddling clothes lying in a manger, but he will appear in the clouds of heaven, clothed with power and great glory and with all the holy angels. We will hear the voice of the archangel and the trump of God. The sun and the moon will be transformed and stars will be hurled from their places. You and I, or those who follow us, the saints from every quarter of the earth shall be quickened and caught up to meet him. And those who have died in righteousness, they too will be caught up to meet him in the midst of heaven. Then a seemingly impossible experience. All flesh, the Lord says, shall see me together. How will it happen? We do not know. But I testify it will happen exactly as prophesied. We will kneel in reverence, and the Lord shall utter his voice, and all the ends of the earth shall hear it. It shall be the voice of many waters, and as the voice of a great thunder. Then the Lord, the Savior, shall stand in the midst of his people. There will be unforgettable reunions with the angels of heaven and the saints upon the earth. But most importantly, as Isaiah declares, all the ends of the earth shall see the salvation of our God, and he shall reign over all flesh. In that day, the skeptics will be silent, for every ear shall hear and every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, the Savior and Redeemer of the world. Today is Easter. We rejoice with Christians all over the world in his glorious resurrection and in our own promised resurrection. May we prepare for his coming by rehearsing these glorious events over and over in our own minds and with those we love. And may his prayer be our prayer. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven. I testify that he lives. O come, O thou King of kings, in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. I was only 12 years old when the missionaries 
arrived for the first time to preach in the city where I was born in Chile. One Sunday, after attending the small branch for six months, a missionary offered me the bread as he was passing the sacrament. I looked at him and softly said, I can't. Why not, he replied. I told him, I am not a member of the church. The missionary couldn't believe it. His eyes were shining. I suppose he thought, but this young man is in every meeting. How can he not be a member? The following day, the missionaries were in my home doing everything they could to teach my whole family. But since my family was not interested, it was only my weekly church attendance that made the missionaries feel confident enough to continue. Finally, the great moment I had been waiting for came when they invited me to become a member of the Church of Jesus Christ. The missionaries said, as a minor, I would need my parents' permission. I went to see my father, thinking that his loving answer would be, Son, when you are of legal age, you will be able to make your own decisions. While the missionaries spoke with him, I prayed fervently for his heart to be touched so he would grant me permission. His answer was this, Elders, over the past six months, I have seen my son Jorge get up early every Sunday morning, put on his best clothes, and walk to church. I've seen only a good influence from the church in his life. Then to me he said, Son, if you will be responsible for this decision, then you have my permission to be baptized. I hugged my father, gave him a kiss, and thanked him. The next day, I was baptized. Last week was the 47th anniversary of that important moment in my life. What responsibility do we as members of the church have of the Church of Jesus Christ? President Joseph Fielding Smith said, quote, We have these two great responsibilities. First, to seek our own salvation, and second, our duty to our fellow men, close quote. These, then, are the main responsibilities that our Father has assigned to us, seeking our own salvation and that of others, with the understanding that salvation means reaching the highest degree of glory that our Father has provided for His obedient children. These responsibilities that have been entrusted to us and which we have freely accepted must define our priorities, our desires, our decisions, and our daily conduct. For one who has come to understand that, because of the atonement of Jesus Christ, exaltation is truly within reach. Failing to obtain it constitutes damnation. Thus, the opposite of salvation is damnation, just like the opposite of success is failure. President Monson has taught us that, quote, men cannot really long rest content with mediocrity once they see excellence is within their reach, close quote. How, then, could we be content with anything less if we know that exaltation is possible. Allow me to share four key principles that will help us fulfill our desires to be responsible to our Father in Heaven, as well as respond to His expectations that we become as He is. First, learning our duty. If we are to do God's will and be responsible to Him, we must begin by learning, understanding, accepting, and living according to His will for us. The Lord has said, Wherefore, now let every man learn his duty, and to act in the office in which he is appointed in all diligence.
Having the desire to do what is right is not enough if we do not make sure to understand what our Father expects from us and wants us to do. In the story of Alice in Wonderland, not knowing which way to go, Alice asks the Cheshire Cat, Would you tell me, please, which way I ought to go from here? The cat replies, That depends a good deal on where you want to get to. Alice says, I don't much care where. Then it doesn't matter which way you go, says the cat. However, the path that leads to the tree whose fruit is desirable to make one happy, the way which leadeth unto life, is narrow. It takes effort to journey along the path, and few there be that find it. Nephi teaches that the words of Christ will tell you all things what ye should do. Then he adds that the Holy Ghost will show unto you all things what ye should do. Thus the sources that allow us to learn our duty are the words of Christ received through ancient and modern prophets and the personal revelation we receive through the Holy Ghost. Second, making the decision. As we learn about the restoration of the gospel, a particular commandment, the duties associated with serving in a calling, or the covenants we make in the temple, the choice is ours whether or not we act according to that new knowledge. Each person chooses freely to enter into a sacred covenant, such as baptism or the temple ordinances. Anciently, swearing oaths was a normal part of people's religious lives. So the old law stated that, Ye shall not swear by my name falsely. However, in the meridian of time, the Savior taught a higher way of keeping our commitments when he said that yes meant yes and no meant no. A person's word ought to be sufficient to establish truthfulness and commitment towards someone else, and even more so when that someone else is our Father in Heaven. Honoring a commitment becomes the manifestation of the truthfulness and honesty of our word. Third, acting accordingly. After learning our duty and making the decisions associated with that learning and understanding, we must act accordingly. A powerful example of the firm determination to meet his commitment with his father comes from the Savior's experience of healing a man sick with palsy. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. We know that the atonement of Jesus Christ is essential to receiving forgiveness. But during the episode of the healing the man with palsy, that grand event had not yet taken place. Gethsemane had yet to happen. However, Jesus not only blessed the man with the ability to stand up and walk, but he also granted him forgiveness for his sins, thereby giving an unequivocal sign that he would not fail, that he would fulfill the commitment he had made with his Father, and that in Gethsemane and on the cross, he would do what he had promised to do. The path we have chosen to walk is narrow. Along the way, challenges will require our faith in Jesus Christ and our best efforts to stay on the path and press forward. We need to repent and be obedient and patient, even if we do not understand all the circumstances that surround us. We must forgive others and live in accordance with what we have learned and with the choices we have made. Fourth, willingly accept the Father's will. Discipleship 
requires us not only to learn our duty, make correct decisions and act accordingly, but also essential is our developing the willingness and the ability to accept God's will, even if it does not match our righteous desires or preferences. I admire the attitude of the leper who came to the Lord, beseeching him and kneeling down to him and saying unto him, If thou wilt, thou canst make me clean. The leper did not demand anything, even though his desires might have been righteous. He was simply willing to accept the will of the Lord. Some years ago, some dear, faithful friends of mine were blessed with the arrival of a long-yearned-for son, for whom they had been praying for a long time. That home was filled with joy, while our friends and their daughter, who was their only other child back then, enjoyed the company of the newly arrived little boy. One day, something unexpected happened. The little three-year-old boy suddenly went into a coma. As soon as I learned of this situation, I called my friend to express our support at that difficult time. But his reply was a lesson to me. He said, If it is the Father's will to take him home, then it is all right with us. My friend's words contain not the slightest degree of complaint, rebelliousness, or discontent. On the contrary, all I could feel in his words was gratitude to God for having allowed them to enjoy their little son for that brief time, as well as a total willingness to accept the Father's will for them. A few days later, that little one was taken back to his celestial mansion. Let us press forward by learning our duty, making correct decisions, acting according to those decisions, and accepting the will of the Father. How grateful and happy I am for the decision that my father let me make 47 years ago. Over time, I have come to understand that the condition he gave me to be responsible for that decision meant being responsible to my Heavenly Father and seeking my own salvation and that of my fellow men, thereby becoming more as my father expects and wants me to become. On this very special day, I testify God our Father and His beloved Son live. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Amen. The choir will now favor us with Tell Me the Stories of Jesus, after which we will be pleased to hear from Elder Joseph W. Citati of the Seventy. He will be followed by Elder Russell M. Nelson of the Quorum of the Twelve Apostles.
Thank you, uh, Tabernacle Choir, for that sweet tribute to the Savior of the world. In the day that God the Father called upon his only begotten Son to make man in their image and likeness, he blessed his children, saying, quote, Be fruitful and multiply, and replenish the earth and subdue it, and have dominion over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. Close quote. Thus, our mortal journey began with both a divine charge and a blessing. A loving Father gave us the charge and the blessing to be fruitful and to multiply, and to have dominion so that we can develop and become even as He is. Brothers and sisters, this afternoon I invite your faith and prayers as I share some thoughts with you about three fundamental attributes of our divine nature. My prayer is that we might all more fully recognize and fulfill our sacred responsibility, our Father's charge, to develop our divine nature so that we may navigate our journey more successfully and obtain our divine destiny. First, God charged us to be fruitful. An important part of being fruitful that is sometimes overlooked is that of bringing forth the kingdom of God upon the earth. The Savior taught, quote, I am the vine. Ye are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit, for without me ye can do nothing. If ye abide in me, and my words abide in you, ye shall ask what ye will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified, that ye bear much fruit, so shall ye be my disciples. Close quote. We become fruitful as we abide in Christ, and as we take upon ourselves his name, and serve him to the end by helping others come unto him. In our day, living prophets and apostles continue to lift their voices to invite each one of us to become fully engaged in the work of salvation according to our abilities and opportunities. The starting point of a response that yields much fruit is to be meek and lowly in heart. We can then more fully come unto Christ as we yield to the enticings of the Holy Spirit and keep all the covenants we have made. We can seek and receive the gift of charity and have power to invite our own families, our ancestors, and members, and our member and member neighbors and friends to receive the gospel of Jesus Christ. Laboring in the spirit of charity is not a duty but a joy. Challenges become opportunities to build faith. We become witnesses of the goodness of God at all times and in all things and in all places that we may be in, even until death. All of us can and should become fully engaged in the work of salvation. The Savior has given us the following promise, the following responsibility with our promise. Quote, I have chosen you and ordained you, that you should go and bring forth fruit, and that your fruit should remain, that whatsoever you shall ask of the Father in my name, he may give it you. Close quote. Second, God judged us to, be, to multiply. Our physical bodies are a blessing from God. We receive them for the purposes of fulfilling Heavenly Father's work to bring to pass the immortality and eternal life of man. The body is the means by which we can attain our divine potential. The body enables Heavenly Father's obedient spirit children to experience life on earth, Bearing children gives other spirit children of God the opportunity to ask to also enjoy life on earth. 
All who are born in mortality have the opportunity to progress and to be exalted if they obey God's commandments. Marriage between a man and a woman is the institution that God ordained for the fulfillment of the charge to multiply. A same-gender relationship does not multiply. A legal and lawful marriage sealed in the temple and in which the sealing covenants are honored gives parents and their children the opportunity for the best experience of love and preparation for a fruitful life. It offers them the ideal environment in which they can leave their covenants made with God. Because of His love for us, Heavenly Father has provided that all His faithful children who do not or are not able to enjoy the blessings of a covenant marriage and children or a fullness of those blessings for reasons not of their making will in the Lord's appointed time, enjoy these blessings. Living prophets and apostles have counseled all who have the opportunity to enter into the covenant of eternal marriage to proceed in wisdom and faith. We should not put off the time of that sacred day because of worldly pursuits or hold our expectations of a suitable companion at a level that disqualifies every possible candidate. The promise to all who are sealed in the covenant of eternal marriage and who are fruitful through keeping their covenants is that the adversary will never have power to undermine the foundation of their eternal companionship. Third, God charged us to subdue the earth. To subdue the earth and have dominion over every living thing is to control these things so they fulfill the will of God as they serve the purposes of his children. Subduing includes gaining mastery over our own bodies. It does not include being helpless victims of these things or using them contrary to the will of God. Developing the ability to subdue the things of the earth begins with humility to recognize our human weakness and the power available to us through Christ and his atonement. Quote, For Christ hath said, if ye will have faith in me, ye shall have power to do whatsoever thing is expedient in me. Close quote. This power becomes available to us as we choose to act in obedience to his commandments. We increase our ability by seeking the gifts of the Spirit and by developing our talents. I was born and raised in humble circumstances typical to many families in Africa. I gained the ability to lift myself from those circumstances by seeking and obtaining, with the caring help of my parents, a good education. Developing a vision of what I could become was essential to my progress. Later, as a young couple, my wife Gladys and I found the restored gospel, which continues to bless our lives with spiritual direction. Like every family, we have our trials and challenges. But as we look to the Lord for help, we have found answers that bring peace and comfort, and we do not feel overwhelmed by these things. The challenges facing human society today, including immorality, pornography, armed conflict, pollution, substance abuse, and poverty, flourish because many in the world have turned themselves over by choice to the to the will of the devil and the flesh rather than to the will of God. Quote, They seek not the Lord to establish his righteousness, but every man walketh in his own way and after the image of his own God, whose image is in the likeness of the world. Close quote. 
However, God invites all his children to obtain his help to overcome and endure the challenges of this life with these words, quote, I am God, I made the world, and men before they were in the flesh. If thou wilt turn unto me, and hearken unto my voice, and believe, and repent of all thy transgressions, and be baptized, even in water, in the name of my only begotten Son, ye shall receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, asking all things in his name, and whatsoever ye shall ask, it shall be given you. Close quote. Faithful Latter-day Saints who understand their divine potential and rely wholeheartedly on the power available through the atonement of the Lord Jesus Christ are strengthened in their natural weakness and can do all things. They are enabled to overcome the enticings of evil that have put many under bondage to the adversary. Paul taught that, quote, God is faithful and will not suffer you to be tempted above that ye are able, but will, with the temptation also, make a way to escape that ye may be able to bear it. Close quote. For in that he himself hath suffered being tempted, he is able to succor them that are tempted. Heavenly Father has charged and blessed us to be fruitful, to multiply, and to subdue the earth, that we might become like him. He has made help available that we may each, according to our individual choosing, actually grow to become like him. I pray that we might all live our lives such that we will be guided by the vision of our divine nature, claim all our divine privileges, and fulfill our divine destiny. I testify of the living reality of God the Father and of his beloved Son, our Savior Jesus Christ, of his glorious plan of happiness, and of the keys he has caused to be bestowed upon a living prophet on earth today, even Thomas S. Monson, whom we love and sustain. I pray that we may have power to enjoy the full blessings, the fullness of his blessings. In the name of Jesus Christ, amen. Dear brothers and sisters, these two days of conference have been glorious. We have been uplifted by inspiring music and eloquent prayers. Our spirits have been edified by messages of light and truth. On this Easter Sunday, we again unitedly and sincerely thank God for our prophet. The question for each of us is, because of what I have heard and felt during this conference, how will I change? Whatever your answer might be, may I invite you also to examine your feelings about and your behavior on the Sabbath day. I am intrigued by the words of Isaiah, who called the Sabbath a delight. Yet I wonder, is the Sabbath really a delight for you and for me? I first found delight in the Sabbath many years ago when, as a busy surgeon, the Sabbath became a day for personal healing. By the end of each week, my hands were sore from repeatedly scrubbing them with soap, water, and a bristle brush. I also needed a breather from the burden of a demanding profession. Sunday provided much-needed relief. What did the Savior mean when he said, 
that the Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. I believe he wanted us to understand that the Sabbath was his gift to us, granting real respite from the rigors of daily life and opportunity for spiritual and physical renewal. God gave us this special day, not for amusement or daily labor, but for a rest from duty with physical and spiritual relief. In Hebrew, the word Sabbath means rest. The purpose of the Sabbath dates back to the creation of the world when, after six days of labor, the Lord rested from the work of creation. When he later revealed the Ten Commandments to Moses, God commanded that we remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Later, the Sabbath was observed as a reminder of the deliverance of Israel from their bondage in Egypt. Perhaps most importantly, the Sabbath was given as a perpetual covenant, a constant reminder that the Lord may sanctify his people. In addition, we now partake of the sacrament on the Sabbath day in remembrance of the Atonement of Jesus Christ. Again, we covenant that we are willing to take upon us His holy name. The Savior identified Himself as Lord of the Sabbath. It is His day. Repeatedly, He has asked us to keep the Sabbath or to hallow the Sabbath day. We are under covenant to do so. How do we hallow the Sabbath day? In my much younger years, I studied the work of others who had compiled lists of things to do and things not to do on the Sabbath. It wasn't until later that I learned from the scriptures that my conduct and my attitude on the Sabbath constituted a sign between me and my Heavenly Father. With that understanding, I no longer needed lists of do's and don'ts. When I had to make a decision whether or not an activity was appropriate for the Sabbath, I simply asked myself, what sign do I want to give to God? That question made my choices about the Sabbath day crystal clear. Though the doctrine pertaining to the Sabbath day is of ancient origin, it has been renewed in these latter days as part of a new covenant with a promise. Listen to the power of this divine decree, quote, that thou mayest more fully keep thyself unspotted from the world Thou shalt go to the house of prayer and offer up thy sacraments upon my holy day. For verily this is a day appointed unto you to rest from your labors and to pay thy devotions unto the Most High. And on this day let thy food be prepared with singleness of heart, that thy fasting may be perfect, that thy joy may be full. And inasmuch as ye do these things with thanksgiving 
with cheerful hearts and countenances, the fullness of the earth is yours. Close quote. Imagine the scope of that statement. The fullness of the earth is promised to those who keep the Sabbath day holy. No wonder Isaiah called the Sabbath a delight. How can you ensure that your behavior on the Sabbath will lead to joy and rejoicing? In addition to your going to church, partaking of the sacrament, and being diligent in your specific call to serve, what other activities would help to make the Sabbath a delight for you? What sign will you give to the Lord to show your love for Him? The Sabbath provides a wonderful opportunity to strengthen family ties. After all, God wants each of us, as His children, to return to Him as endowed saints sealed in the temple, in the temple as families to our ancestors, and to our posterity. We make the Sabbath a delight when we teach the gospel to our children. Our responsibility as parents is abundantly clear. The Lord said, Inasmuch as parents have children in Zion that teach them not to understand the doctrine of repentance, faith in Christ, the Son of the living God, and of baptism, and the gift of the Holy Ghost by the laying on of the hands, When eight years old, the sin be upon the heads of the parents. Years ago, the First Presidency stressed the importance of quality family time. They wrote We call upon parents to devote their best efforts to the teaching and rearing of their children in gospel principles, which will keep them close to the Church. The home is the basis of a righteous life, and no other instrumentality can take its place or fulfill its essential functions in carrying forward this God-given responsibility. We counsel parents and children to give highest priority to family prayer, family home evening, gospel study and instruction, and wholesome family activities. However worthy and appropriate other demands or activities may be, they must not be permitted to displace the divinely appointed duties that only parents and families can adequately perform. When I ponder this counsel, I almost wish I were a young father once again. Now, parents have such wonderful resources available to help them make family time more meaningful. On the Sabbath and other days as well, they have LDS.org, Mormon.org, the Bible videos, the Mormon Channel, Gospel Art Library, the Friend, the New Era, the Ensign, the Liahona, and more, much more. These resources are so very helpful to parents in discharging their sacred duty to teach their children. No other work transcends that of righteous, intentional parenting. 
As you teach the gospel, you will learn more. This is the Lord's way of helping you to comprehend His gospel. He said, I give unto you a commandment, ye shall teach one another the doctrine of the kingdom. Teach ye diligently that you may be instructed more perfectly in doctrine, in the law of the gospel, in all things that pertain unto the kingdom of God. Such study of the gospel makes the Sabbath a delight. This promise pertains regardless of family size, composition, or location. In addition to time with family, you can experience true delight on the Sabbath from family history work. Searching for and finding family members who have preceded you on earth, those who did not have an opportunity to accept the gospel while here, can bring immense joy. I have seen this firsthand. Several years ago, when my dear wife Wendy, she determined that she was going to learn how to do family history research. Her progress at first was slow, but little by little she learned how easy it is to do this sacred work. And I've never seen her happier. You, too, need not travel to other countries or even to a family history center. At home, with the aid of a computer or mobile device, you can identify souls who are yearning for their ordinances. Make the Sabbath a delight by finding your ancestors and liberating them from spirit prison. Make the Sabbath a delight by rendering service to others, especially those who are not feeling well or those who are lonely or in need. Lifting their spirits will lift yours as well. When Isaiah described the Sabbath as a delight, he also taught us how to make it delightful. He said, If thou turn away from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, and shalt honor the Lord not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words, then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord. Not pursuing your own pleasure on the Sabbath requires self-discipline. You may have to deny yourself of something you might like. If you choose to delight yourself in the Lord, you will not permit yourself to treat it as any other day. Routine and recreational activities can be done some other time. Think of this. In paying tithing, we return one-tenth of our increase to the Lord. In keeping the Sabbath holy, we reserve one day in seven as His. So it is our privilege to consecrate both money and time to Him who lends us life each day. Faith in God engenders a love for the Sabbath. Faith in the Sabbath engenders a love for God. A sacred Sabbath truly is a delight.
Now, as this conference comes to a close, we know that wherever we live, we are to be examples of the believers among our families, neighbors, and friends. True believers keep the Sabbath day holy. I conclude with the farewell plea of Moroni as he closed the Book of Mormon. He wrote, Come unto Christ and be perfected in Him, and deny yourselves of all ungodliness. And if ye shall deny yourselves of all ungodliness and love God with all your might, mind, and strength, then are ye sanctified in Christ. With love in my heart, I leave this with you as my prayer, testimony, and blessing. In the sacred name of Jesus Christ, amen. At the conclusion of this conference, we express heartfelt appreciation to all who have worked so diligently to prepare for these services. We are grateful to those who have spoken and offered prayers and sincerely thank the choirs and their conductors and organists for the beautiful and uplifting music. The choir will now close the conference by singing, Lord, I would follow thee. The benediction will then be offered by Elder Koichi Aoyagi of the Seventy and the conference will be adjourned. Our dear sisters and brothers, our dear friends, may our Heavenly Father bless and keep you at this Easter Sunday and always until we meet again in October.
our beloved Father in heaven, we are so thankful for the greatest sacrifice and resurrection of thy Son, Jesus Christ. We thank thee for thy love, tender mercy, and blessings of the atonement. We ask thee thy blessings with us. We are so grateful to be able to hear great teachings and counsels and advice in this general conference. And please help us to be able to apply what we have learned in our daily life. Please bless President Thomas S. Monson and 12 apostles and other general authorities. Also bless all of the priesthood leaders and missionaries in the saints all around the world. We are so grateful for thy love and tender mercy and blessings of, thy, of the atonement of Jesus Christ. We pray for these things humbly in the name of thy Son, Jesus Christ. Amen. This has been a broadcast of the 185th Annual General Conference of The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Speakers were selected from the general authorities and general officers of the church. Music was provided by the Mormon Tabernacle Choir. This broadcast has been furnished as a public service by Bonneville Distribution. Any reproduction, recording, transcription, or other use of this program without written consent is prohibited. KSL FM Midvale, KSL Salt Lake City. Hi, this is Rod Meldrum. Holistic health and wellness, emergency preparedness and camping, Book of Mormon research. These are just a few of the topics you will venture into at the Firm Foundation Expo, featuring the 15th International Book of Mormon Evidence Conference, Thursday through Saturday, April 9th, 10th, and 11th. You'll explore important issues of our day, science and religion, food storage, preparedness, and more. Three education-packed days with over 60 distinguished speakers, including child rescue expert Timothy Ballard, Dr. Bradley Nelson of The Emotion Code, and many more. Explore exciting new evidences for the Book of Mormon. Learn about the signs of our time. 
This entire three-day event is only $15 per person or $30 for your entire family. Get details and register for this uplifting event at bookofmormonevidence.org. That's bookofmormonevidence.org. The Firm Foundation Expo, faithfully exploring relevant LDS topics of our day. Plan on being there April 9th, 10th, and 11th at the UCCU Event Center in Orem. More at bookofmormonevidence.org. Tonight on KSL TV, 100 million viewers experienced the wonder of the epic miniseries, The Bible. Now comes the next chapter, A.D. The Bible Continues on NBC. Producers Mark Burnett and Roma Downey. A.D. The Bible Continues is a dramatization of the book of Acts. I-